Good morning. Welcome to Rainbow Mennonite Church on this crisp winter morning. Today we're going to hear in scripture about a dream God had for Abram and Sari. Where were you on August the 28th, 1963? I know I was just beginning my senior year in high school. I had my whole life ahead of me. Everyone in my school was white. I didn't really understand about racism or being prejudiced, but Martin Luther King Jr. did. He understood. He spoke to about 250,000 people in Washington, D.C., who knew and understood, and he had a dream. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This morning for our prayer, I would like for as a congregation, we will respond in unison, I have a dream. I will read a dream, and then you will respond again, I have a dream. So if you'll start with me, I have a dream that low-income persons will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by their bank account, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that LGBTQ people will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by their sexual preference, but by the content of their character. I that persons with disabilities will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by their disability, but by the content of their character. I am that persons crossing borders will one day live in a culture, will live in a nation where they will not be judged by their culture, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that all people, regardless of any differences, will live in a nation where no one will be judged by their differences, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Let's remain silent. Amen. Please stand in body and spirit as you were able to sing hymn number four. Scripture this morning, first from the Old Testament, Genesis 12 and 13. I'm reading from the Shine On Story Bible. Abram journeyed from Ur with his father to the land of Haran. Later God told Abram, go from the country to the land I will show you. I will bless you and make your name great, and I will make you into a great nation. So Abram, Sari, and Abram's nephew Lot followed God. They moved away from their home country. They moved many times, and Abram and Lot always pitched their tents close to each other. Abram had livestock, silver and gold. Lot had flocks of sheep and herds of cattle. Each year, There were more and more animals. It was hard to find water and enough grass for so many animals. We need this grass for our cows and sheep, said Lot's workers. This is our grass. Go find your own grass, said Abram's workers. Let's not fight over cows where cows eat, said Abram to Lot. Look to your left. Look to your right. There's plenty of land for us to share. 
You choose first, then I'll go in the other direction. Lot looked to the left and looked to the right. Lot chose the land close to the Jordan River. The fields were as green as a garden. Abram and Sari went to the other way, to the land of Canaan. I had a birthday this week. So that got me thinking about special birthdays I'd had in the past. When I was six years old, I got my first bike. So think of the six-year-olds here. My bike was purple with a squishy banana seat that was purple, and it was beautiful. Now, having a January birthday, it was a while before I got to try it out, but my youngest brother, who was 18 when I was six, helped me learn to ride. He was a pretty good athlete. He was a good runner. So he would run behind me and hold me up for balance, and that's how I learned to ride my bike. If I would turn around to check if he was still back there behind me holding me up, that's when I would wiggle a little bit and I'd start to fall, but then he'd catch me and hold me up and we'd keep going. Um, Until that time, when I heard him from about 10 feet behind me yell and say, don't turn around or you'll turn to salt. And, of course, that was the moment that I turned around, and yes, there was plenty of salt in my tears when my knees hit the farmyard gravel. I think I still have the scars. It was years before I understood that salt reference, and because it's not a story that we often tell children, at least not the whole story, and maybe for a good reason, which is why I had Dwayne read from the Shine Story Bible, the kids' Bible, because it kept it G-rated. When Ruth asked me several weeks ago if there was a character that I would like to explore, I rather glibly said, I'd like to know what was up with Lot's wife. We don't hear much about her, and most of the time what we do hear is pretty negative. If Lot's daughters were the ancestral mothers of the Moabites and the Ammonites, then the biblical Ruth that Pastor Ruth talked about last week is a descendant of Lot's wife as well. So we continue that lineage that we started talking about last Sunday. And we trace the sages back to Lot and his wife. Even though she never says anything, we've made some assumptions about Lot's wife. And in fact, in Genesis 19, where her story is recorded, um, that story does not even appear in the lectionary cycle. The lectionary cycle is a three-year cycle of readings that's supposed to cover the whole biblical narrative. So if you attend a church where the the person who preaches only follows the lectionary, you might never hear the story of Lot and Lot's wife. And so it's easy to avoid the story. And, and I think that's too bad because I think if we avoid these difficult stories, we miss out. I think we'd understand them better if we would talk about them and then they wouldn't be so destructive. So we don't talk about Lot's wife. But guess who did? Jesus. In Luke 17, which, by the way, is also not not part of the lectionary cycle, 
Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. So to continue where Dwayne left off, Abram lets Lot choose which land he will take over with his herds. There is no mention there yet of Lot's wife or his family. Had Lot's wife been there, perhaps she might have encouraged him to be a little more respectful of his uncle and the appropriate customs of respect for elders and wouldn't, let, wouldn't have let Lot grab the best land for himself. Lot does seem to be characterized in a number of passages as really looking out for his own best interest and sometimes even being kind of a buffoon. But God still takes care of him and rescues him more than once. So Lot settles in the lush land near the Jordan River, near the city of Sodom. It was a city known for its extravagance, but in this story, the criticism is of the way the city treated its visitors. Although the city is characterized as being wealthy, the people of Sodom did not welcome strangers or give any aid to the poor. And in fact, there was quite a lot of offensive behavior toward the strangers. To make a long story short, God decides that because they weren't welcoming, uh, God decides to destroy the city of Sodom, but to save Lot and his family, not necessarily because of anything Lot did to deserve it, but in deference to God's remembering of Abram and God's promise to Abram. And Lot and his family were saved because of God's mercy. After Lot and his family were ordered to flee Sodom, the city is certainly destroyed. They are told, as they are leaving the city, not to look back to see the destruction. And Lot obeys, but Lot's wife can't help herself. And in the story, she looks, as it says, behind him. I'm not exactly sure what that means, where she's looking. It says she looks behind Lot. And according to what God said God would do, she's turned into a pillar of salt. We could talk for a long time about the symbolism of salt, how we can't live without it, but too much is bad for us how it can be used for preserving, but it's also deadly in high concentrations. And it's both purifying and destructive. There are some commentators who say she's still standing there, as there are large salt and stone formations near the Jordan River that look kind of like a person standing and watching. So why did she turn around? This is the question I've been asking and I've read about in many different commentaries. This theme of don't look back is found in other literature of the time. The ancient Roman myth of Orpheus and Eurydice tells of how Orpheus can lead Eurydice from death only if he doesn't turn around to watch her following him. And of course, he does this, but just a few feet from the destination, he turns around and she disappears. And there are other examples as well in Roman literature. That's just one I happen to know of because of 
opera. <clears throat> Perhaps Lot met his wife in Sodom, since we don't hear about her earlier in the scripture. Um, but that would have made it her hometown. Did she look back out of sadness for what she was leaving? Maybe because she was forced to leave her family due to an impending violence and become an immigrant in a land she didn't know. We often vilify her based on the assumptions in Genesis and because Jesus uses her as an example for not being tied to earthly things. Lot was obviously a wealthy man. Was she missing what she had accumulated? Two of her daughters were engaged to be married and supposedly stayed in Sodom. Did she leave their futures behind as well? And was she mourning that? Why is she even included in this story? What does she, an unnamed woman with no words, with what would seem to be an innocuous act of simply turning around, what does she bring to the narrative of the relationship between God and Lot? Is it her disobeying of God's instruction? Neither Lot nor his daughters make any comment about what happened. How sad is that? Compared to the other characters in the story, I find myself just having compassion for this woman. And then why did Jesus say, remember Lot's wife? This is what we hear in Jesus' teaching as recorded in the 17th chapter of Luke. And these are Jesus' words. When the Pharisees asked Jesus when the reign of God would come, and Jesus replied, the reign of God doesn't come in a visible way. You can't say, see, here it is, or there it is. No, look, the reign of God is already in your midst. The reign of God is already in your midst. And then Jesus tells his disciples, it was the same in the days of Lot. They ate and drank, they bought and sold, they built and planted, but on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and brimstone rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the promised one is revealed. On that day, if people are on the rooftop and their belongings are in the house, they shouldn't go down to get them, nor should the farmer in the field turn back. Here's the phrase, remember Lot's wife. Those who try to save their lives will lose them, and those who lose their lives will save them. From my reading, I understand here that Jesus is calling to mind our friend Lot's wife, who I can identify with more than I want to admit, as an example of how to not dwell in the security of what we think we know. Going forward is hard. There is loss. Justice is elusive and sometimes harsh. But Jesus also says the kingdom of God is among you. 
This is where the work has to happen, not by someone else, not in the future, but be engaged now. And yes, I remember Lot's wife, and I have compassion for her because I see myself in her story. I'm turning around all the time, wondering, reviewing, lamenting things I've said, things I've done, mourning, losses. But I also find a glimmer of hope because we haven't forgotten Lot's wife. Maybe she's a harsh reminder, but it's a reminder to be present, to keep in mind what's most important and to keep looking for the kingdom of God here and moving forward. In response to this, I would like us to turn to number 124 in the Sing the Story book. We often sing this during Advent as a song of Mary, but today I'd ask that we think of the vision of the reign of God as being in the here and now and the need for justice God desires and inspires us to turn toward. I've asked our instrumentalists to take this at a pretty quick tempo, so it might be a little faster than is comfortable. Take a minute or so as they get themselves organized to read through the words. At the ends of the stanzas, we're going to go right into the next verse without any extra time in between. So this might leave us a little breathless, maybe a little dizzy from the turning. Okay. 